Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. What I'd like you guys to do this morning is to imagine, if you will, that you're a child. Okay, go back uh, a few years for some of us, many years for those of us in the room that are older. And uh, I want you to imagine that you're a child and it's time for the Christmas pageant. More particularly, that portion of the Christmas pageant that's the nativity story. And I want you to imagine for a second that the parts and roles are getting ready to be handed out. And maybe you can go there. I have a vivid scene from my childhood of the big tubs of handmade uh, disciples' robes and all those things and the tinsel that we would use and these little kind of plastic sheep and the candles and all those kinds of things. And it's now time for those roles to be handed out. And when it comes to the roles that little girls want, there's kind of two roles that everybody vies for. The first of which is the role of Mary, because you want that role. You want to be the one that gets to hold the little plastic baby Jesus and put him in the hay manger. And then the second role that most little girls vie for is the role of the angel, because that's just cool and sweet. Although if we were truly true to the biblical text, those angels were very terrifying, much less cherubic and much more when they would show up, uh, but that doesn't really make for a good nativity story, so we kind of go the safe route with the angels. But then when it comes to little boys, and we let them decide, who, what role do you want? It's been my experience that the number one role that little boys want in the nativity is the magi. They want to be one of the three wise men. Why? Because they get to carry something. They get to carry myrrh. We don't know what myrrh is, but we get to carry myrrh. And then the second role that it seems like a lot of little guys want is the role of the shepherds. Because you get to carry that crook, which is cool, and you can kind of poke somebody in the back uh, during the nativity story with that. And then the third role, and, and you're thinking to yourself, I think that we're kind of bypassing somebody. Why does nobody want to be Joseph? And then I, I think sometimes the third role that people want is the cows, I guess. I mean, it's been my experience. In most nativity scenes, the cow has more lines than Joseph does. In most nativity scenes, it seems like the animals have a little bit more of a significant role than Joseph because Joseph doesn't come bearing a gift. Joseph doesn't come with this well-known phrase like fear not. But what does Joseph have? Joseph has a pregnant wife with a baby that's not his. Wow. He has a pregnant wife who is carrying the child of God. Joseph is not this regal king, but he's a carpenter. There's no mention of gold in the Joseph narrative. There's no mention of gold, but there is a situation that would have been very gossipy in Joseph's life. And what we have kind of tended to do is we've kind of relegated Joseph to the person who put Mary on a donkey who took her to Bethlehem and found a stable so that they could have the child that was not biologically his. But I'm starting a campaign today that says we should want to be like Joseph. Kids should look at this story and say, I want to be more and more like Joseph. In fact, I think kids should be fighting over who gets to play the role of Joseph because his life and his dedication and his faith are next level. And I truly believe that there's something that we can all learn from the way that Joseph lived his life. For the men in the room, for the fathers in the room, I believe Joseph is an incredible example of fatherhood. And for all of us, I believe Joseph is this testament of living a life of faith.
and a life of purpose. And I'm so thrilled that you're here with us this morning. I don't believe it's by accident that you are here. And my hope and my prayer is that God would speak to us today through his word. And so you can go ahead and kind of get your mind set on what this story is all about. We're going to be looking in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew, some of the Old Testament prophecies as well. But before we go any further, let's pray. And let's just ask God to meet us in and through his word today and to change us in this process. Lord, thank you for this day of life that you have given us. Thank you, God, for um, just the way that you have already worked today. And God, we give this morning to you, and we pray that as we dig into your word, that you would use us uh, in whatever way you see fit as we go from this place here later on today to take what we've learned, what we've encountered in worship, that it would change us and that we would go into this world and be a change agent for you. God, we're grateful again for who you are, and we thank you for your word. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. So when I say that word, Joseph, uh, it's not to be confused with Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph in the Old Testament, the coat of many colors, uh, is different than Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus. And there's not a ton that we know about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, uh, because he's not a guy who gets a lot. He doesn't have an entire book of the Bible devoted to him. But we know a few things about him, the first of which is that he was a carpenter which was an important job. It wasn't a regal job, but it was an important job. But we also know that he had a very interesting lineage. He had descendants that could literally be traced back to Abraham and to David. But we also know that he was engaged to be married to Mary. And so if you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we get this initial snapshot of Joseph and this journey that they had to make to Bethlehem. And it says, starting in verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So because there was this census, everyone had to travel to their hometowns in order to be counted. So because he was from the line of David, Joseph and his new wife Mary, who again was pregnant, had to travel to Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And most scholars believe this would have been about a four-day journey. We're looking at about 90 miles. And those ladies in the room that have ever had a child, imagine that that's happening to you near the end of this pregnancy. This 90-mile journey, not with the creature comforts that we have today. But if you scroll back to the book of Matthew, the first gospel, uh, there's some incredibly pertinent details of Joseph that are shared with us. And in the essence of time, I can't walk you through all 17 verses of genealogy about Joseph's life. But if you were to kind of look at Matthew 1, 1 through 17, this is what you're going to see. That there were some prophecies that were given to Abraham. And then 14 generations later... Some prophecies are given to David. And then 14 generations later, the Israelites go into captivity. Some of you were a part of our next series where we unpacked the book of Nehemiah, where the Israelites were in captivity. That's that season of the Israelite history. And then 14 generations later comes the Messiah. So if you're doing all that math in your head, you have Abraham, then 14 generations, David, then 14 generations, exile, and then 14 generations, Jesus the Messiah. Joseph is in that genealogical line. He is in that genealogical line from Abraham to Jesus. And why this is important is because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And we can't unpack all of the biblical prophecy connected to this, but in Genesis chapter 12, listen to Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3, because this is God giving some prophecy to Abraham. 
where this kind of story starts with this genealogy of Joseph. And in, a, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so this is God promising Abraham that all of the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through your offspring, Abraham. And this is 2,000 years, we might add, before the birth of Christ. God telling Abraham the whole world is going to be blessed because of your offspring. So then if you were to fast forward 1,000 years from that date, 1,000 years from the promises that God gave to Abraham, God makes similar promises to David. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses uh, 12 and 13. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so this is David getting a promise from God that an eternal kingdom is going to be established through you, David. This is the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to make everything right. When God says to David, I will make your kingdom eternal, it's referencing Jesus. When God says to Abraham, I will make you father of many nations and the entire world will be blessed through someone from your line, it's referencing Jesus. So you have Abraham, then you have David, then you have Joseph playing his part, and ultimately Jesus. So Joseph was a fulfillment of prophecy, just not biological. He wasn't the biological fulfillment of prophecy, but he was the adoptive fulfillment of prophecy. And this is a sermon for a whole nother day. But do you know what the Bible says? When you and I become followers of Jesus Christ, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. Amen? And God used an adoptive father in Joseph to raise the Savior at birth. There wasn't a trace of Joseph's DNA in Jesus' blood. But yet Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Joseph is the earthly father of the Savior of the world. And if you go back to Matthew then chapter 1, pick back up with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And this is the account of how it all unfolds. So again, keep in mind all the genealogy that none of this is happenstance. That Joseph is the, in the genealogical line that was promised from God to Abraham and to David. And then we pick up in verse 18. So this, then, is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, can we stop for just a moment to acknowledge how incredibly powerful this is? 
Uh, because I think in the Christmas season, it's really easy. Kelly Minter spoke about this last week. It's really easy for us to kind of get diluted by all the trappings of Christmas. And we get so concerned with all the decorations and all the gifts and all of the gatherings. But let's not miss that God sent Jesus, Savior at birth. And because he was fully God and because he was fully man, he had to be born to human parents. And shortly thereafter, 33 years afterwards, he would die for the sins of all humanity, present and future. And God, his heavenly father, gave him an earthly father in Joseph. Why Joseph? What have we overlooked about Joseph? What can we learn about Joseph? Well, there's much. But first, and as you see here on your notes, maybe you want to kind of take some notes and reflect upon these a little bit later on in the week. First, you see something about Joseph's humility. That Joseph was the humble earthly father of Jesus who would embody humility and sacrifice. Joseph was the humble earthly father of Jesus, and Jesus would ultimately embody humility and sacrifice. I mean, Joseph was humble. We know that from what's recorded here. Joseph, for example, was betrothed to be married to Mary, but he had not had any sexual relationship with Mary, and she is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And as you can imagine, the people would have started talking. <laughs> Joseph is going to endure some hardships as a result of this relationship with Mary. First of which, which is not insignificant at all, is his livelihood is going to be at question because he's going to have to make this journey all the way to Bethlehem, which means he doesn't have a carpentry business over there. He's leaving his business, so it's going to be hard for him to provide for himself and his family. But probably even more hurtful than that is the doubt. Can you imagine the doubt that Joseph is going to have about, is Mary really pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Or did she have a relationship with somebody else and she's just trying to pass this off? And then, lest we forget the laughs, the pointing of the fingers from all the crowd around him, you know, the walking into the room and everybody kind of snickering, there's Joseph and there's Mary, and they've made this claim that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. See, if Joseph was someone who chose to make life all about himself, then I think he would have probably walked away. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we're particularly told that Joseph was faithful to the law and he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. And so instead of exposing her to public disgrace, which he could have done, he said, I'm going to divorce her quietly because his concerns were not about himself, but his concerns were about how to not put Mary through public disgrace. How can I protect her? A little bit later, Joseph, after the birth of Jesus, Joseph is going to accept the responsibility of being the father of Jesus. How do we know that? Because he named the child. And by him naming the child, that means that he was accepting that responsibility of being the father of Jesus, the adoptive father of Jesus. He would be the one that Jesus would first utter those words, Dada, to. Joseph was the one that would teach Jesus about those Jewish customs that fathers would talk about with their sons. Joseph was the one who would protect Jesus. If you fast forward a couple years, there was this mean guy named King Herod who wanted to snuff out the Messiah. And so he issues this edict that all two-year-old boys and under needed to be put to death. Joseph is the one who took the reins and moved his family to Egypt to protect the life of Jesus. Joseph is the one who would have put food on the table for Jesus. In my opinion, Joseph is a little bit overdue for us to take some note of his significance because his role in this story is so significant. Look at who he raised. He raised the Savior. 
who truly embodied humility and who truly embodied sacrifice. It says in the book of Philippians that Jesus was fully God but fully man, and he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And as the Christ child who was fully God and fully man, God wrote into Jesus' story for him to have this earthly father, Joseph, who just happened to live with humility and who just happened to be a man that was willing to sacrifice. Now, due to Joseph's lineage and due to his genealogy, Joseph would have had access to lots of prophecy. Joseph would have had access to all of those 40-plus generations of prophecy that people were talking about. But do you think Joseph knew that he was going to be the guy? I doubt it. Because at some point, he's probably looking, I'm 40 generations removed from this prophecy, and I'm a carpenter. I'm not a king. What are the chances that God would use someone like me in an adoptive manner to fulfill the prophecy that he gave to Abraham and to David? Do you think Joseph was ready for this? I don't think so. But what does the Bible tell us time and time again? Because in the Bible, we are introduced time and time again to characters who were not really prepared for what the Lord had in store for them. What do we see all throughout Scripture? You see it here on your notes. All throughout Scripture, we see that God's promises are often fulfilled by the people that you may least expect. God's promises are often fulfilled by the people that you may least expect. I mean, go back to the text, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. These two main characters, a teenage girl and a carpenter. A teenage girl and a carpenter. Joseph could not have been prepared for what was coming in his life because there wasn't a playbook for wife who is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. He didn't have anybody that he consult about that. He was probably surrounded by good men, but he didn't have the ability to go to them and say, what do you do when your wife is pregnant through the Holy Spirit? Because this had not happened before. And so he didn't have anything that he could channel. But what did Joseph do? Joseph kept moving forward. Joseph kept doing the next best thing. And I believe that there's a lot that we can learn from this story of Joseph. There's a lot that we can glean in our own personal lives as we seek to be the men and the women that God has called us to be. But I particularly want to take a second, and I, I want to speak to all the dads in the room. And uh, you may not be a dad, maybe you're a granddad, maybe you want to be a dad someday. And if that's you, I, I want to take a moment to speak to you directly. Uh, and I've been praying for you this week because I knew that we were unpacking this story of Joseph. And, and maybe you're hearing some of these things as men about how to live this Joseph type of life. And, and to all the men in the room, I, I want to let you know that the role that you play in society and the role that you play in the church, and most importantly, the role that you play in your family cannot be understated. I am not sure that we can even fully articulate the role that men play in our society and that play in your homes particularly. Uh, and I think that we can't even fully articulate what the lack thereof of male role models that are not present in homes, how detrimental that might be to a child. And so to all the men in the room, I want to honor you today, and I want to let you know how incredibly proud I am of you for being here today. 
And many of you men, you helped get your kids ready to come to church today. You helped put Eggo waffles in the toaster so that there would be something to eat. You drove a car. You swung by Starbucks. You picked up Dunkin' Donuts. Whatever the case might be, you played a role in bringing not only yourself, but your families here today to be spiritually invested in. And I want to applaud you for that because it matters. It matters. So significant. When I see men serving in all sectors of the life of our church, it matters. When I see men serving with students and serving with kids, know that it matters. And I hope and pray that more will surface and that there would be 10 guys today that would say, I've yet to jump into the life of serving in the local church, but I want to. It blesses my heart to see men who want to be spiritual leaders. And guys, I promise you, your family will always respond to your spiritual leadership. If you don't believe me on this, test it out. Go home today and talk, have a conversation with your wife. Initiate a conversation with your wife and say, I would like to be a stronger spiritual leader in our home. Can I lead us in more times of prayer? Can I lead us in more devotions? I promise you there is no wife in the room that's going to say no to that. We will welcome you to do that. And so I want to honor you guys. Because sadly... Um, I think sometimes men become the laughing stock of society, and sometimes we become the brunt of jokes, and sometimes we deserve it. I'll give you that. But sometimes it's easy to kind of watch the sitcoms and see how men are portrayed in popular culture. But guys, I want to honor you today because I know what it means, and I know how it feels to sometimes feel beat down or to wonder, are you really making a difference? And to all of you dads who are hearing this story, and maybe there's eyes that are being opened about some areas where I can be more humble or where I can sacrifice more or where I can be more like Joseph, just know that we are cheering you on. And I can't tell you how powerful it is to lean into that humility and to lean into sacrificial living and to lean into a life of faith. And ladies, I'm not going to leave you out either because to all the ladies in the room, in case nobody has ever helped you understand this before, I want to give you a little bit of insight on what it's like to be a man. Can I do that? I want to tell you something with pretty strong confidence. You can take a pen and write this down, okay? I'm going to tell you. I saw the pens are like, I can tell you with pretty strong confidence that the men in your life are asking these questions. They are asking themselves. We are asking ourselves, do we measure up? Are we good enough? Am I capable? It's at the heart of being a man. If you don't believe that's true, then I'll give you a homework assignment as well. Go home today and ask your husband, have you ever asked yourself, do I measure up? Am I good enough? Am I capable? And I promise you, he's going to nod his head because that's at the heart of being a man. There's so much research that would affirm this. Go check out Shanti Feldhahn, who has some of the most incredible resources on this topic that I'm talking about right now. And the more ladies that you can remind and affirm in your husbands that he does measure up, that he does provide for your family, that he is good, the more and more that you will do that, I promise you, the more and more that he is going to come alive and lead your family even better than he is right now. Why do I say all of this? This was not just some rant. This wasn't just some topic. Why do I say all this? Because Joseph was a man. And because he was a man, I know that he had to be asking some of those questions. Because he's looking at his situation and he's thinking to himself, am I really capable of this? 
am I really going to measure up? God of all the people. Me? I'm the one that you chose to be the earthly father of Jesus. He was calculating to see, am I going to measure up? And as you and I navigate these own moments in our life, I believe we can learn something about Joseph's process that will be incredibly helpful to each and every one of us. So head back to the text, verse 20. Look at what Joseph does. Again, keep in mind, he had made a determination, I'm going to divorce her so that she will not go through a a moment of public disgrace. But in verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Again, Joseph started from a place of, let's get a divorce so that I won't publicly disgrace you. But it says, after he considered this, that's the golden phrase, after further consideration, Joseph decides to do something different. What happens during that season of further consideration? I I don't know. I have to use a little bit of creative liberty here. I can only assume that uh, he prayed about this, Uh, He probably sought some wise counsel. In my mind, he took a few donkey rides around Nazareth to clear his mind a little bit. But we do know that he went to sleep and he took a nap. See, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do when you're overwhelmed is to take some time to consider, go for a walk, pray, seek out counsel, and go to sleep. Don't argue with the methodology in Scripture, okay? Thus saith the Lord. He went to sleep, and during his sleep, the Lord said to Joseph, Joseph, you don't have to be afraid of this assignment that I have given you. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to measure up, but I see something in you that you don't see in yourself because this is my plan to usher in the Christ child who will save the people from his sins. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Joseph, this is your genealogy. Mary will remain a virgin until after his birth, and he will be called Emmanuel, which translated into English means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, it says he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. And what I love about Joseph's life, and you see this here on your notes, what I love about Joseph's life is he kind of struck this balance, it seems. Joseph's life kind of struck the balance of what I call considering and obeying. It struck the balance between spending some time to consider and then obeying. This is huge because some of us kind of fall on one spectrum or the other, opposed to striking the balance. What do I mean by that? Some of us are really heavy on consideration. We think things to death and we never do anything about it. And some of us are really heavy on what I like to call the obeying. We just do whatever we want to do and we don't ever consider it. And the reality is there's a healthy intersection of the two. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. 
I hear from people all the time who, who are talking about, I'm trying to discern what God wants to do in my life. And so I'll ask them, well, what are some of the things that God's been revealing to you? And they'll say, well, I was reading devotionals and God brought me a verse that really seemed in par with what I was talking about. And then I went to a lunch with a friend and she said something that was really affirming to that. And then I put on some worship music in the car and the Holy Spirit started working through me. And I, and I believed that God was making it really clear as to what I needed to do. And I was like, well, what's the problem? And they're like, but I just need one more sign. Well, it seems like God made it clear, clearer and clearest one more time. What are you waiting for? I think the season of consideration is over. Whereas some of us are bent on doing what we want to do, and we don't pray about it at all. We don't listen to any wise counsel, but we do go scour Google for a Bible verse that will affirm what we think we want to do. But the reality is when I can live in the tension of the two, it actually helps me to discern the voice of God and to discern the will of God, and then to be able to trust God. And when God speaks, when God speaks, may this be true of all of us, when God speaks, do not delay. When God speaks, do not delay. Back in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, again, that spiritual map he took, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. And he took Mary home as his wife. See, when Joseph woke up, he chose to obey. He had gone through a season of consideration, and now he's moving into obeying. Now, what did all of that obeying look like? What did that obeying the commands of God look like? Well, many things, one of which was he took Mary as his wife. Secondly, he did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was already born. And then after the birth of Jesus, we're told that he named their child Jesus. And this is where it gets really, really fun, because when God speaks, our immediate response should always be to obey. And so if God is speaking to your heart today, I hope and pray that you'll say, you know what, I want to obey that. It's been my experience that any time a group of people assemble together in this building, that there are people here who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to you so that you could have life. And he does not want to hold that sin against you anymore. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Scripture says you will be saved. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we make such a big deal about Easter, because it's these moments that we understand maybe for the first time what God has done for us and who God has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're hearing that today and the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and you're saying, I think that that's a decision that I want to make or that I want to know more about, will you please share that with us? You can make a note on that connection card that you want to talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's going to take some courage, but here in just a few minutes, there's going to be a basket that comes by your seat, and you can place that card in there. And we would love to follow up with you. This takes even more courage, but you can actually stick around after the service as well and come up here and talk to one of our staff or one of our prayer team members. And we would love to share with you about what it means to obey what God is stirring in your heart to do. Or maybe it's that public step of baptism. And my prayer is that God would stir in your heart to say, you know what, I want to take this public 
Because this isn't a private faith. This is public, and I want the world to know that I belong to Jesus Christ. And I promise you, there's nothing that we love to celebrate more than these decisions of people to follow Jesus Christ and to publicly acknowledge that you belong to him and not to yourself. I believe that a little bit more immediate obedience in all of our life is not going to hurt any of us, is it? When God speaks to say, you know what, I want to immediately obey. Because you have Joseph in the face of doubt, in the face of needing more clarity, in the eye of a very judging society, (laughs) he fulfilled the role that God called him to. But here's what you need to realize about Joseph. It's it's an important part because we've talked about his lineage, but we've talked about his life. You see here on your notes, it's Joseph's lineage that actually qualified him, but it was his faith that sustained him. It's Joseph's lineage that qualified him. But it's his faith that sustained him. Joseph was involved in the fulfillment of prophecy from Abraham to David to the Messiah. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to David. Joseph is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But he didn't choose that lineage. His his lineage made Joseph a qualified candidate to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ. But it was truly his faith that led him and gave him and sustained him and afforded him the ability to do what God had called him to do. See, it was because of his faith that he didn't doubt that Mary had heard from the angel of the Lord. It was because of his faith that he didn't allow the criticism and the gossip of all the others to cause him to react. It was because of his faith that he led with humility It was because of his faith that he obeyed the commands of God. It was because of his faith that he did not consummate that marriage to make it look like less of a story. It was because of faith that he believed the promises of God and he did not take matters into his own hands. It was because of faith that he gave the child the name Jesus and in doing so helped lead his earthly son to fulfill the plan that his heavenly father had for him salvation for us all. It was his lineage that qualified him, but it was that faith that sustained him. See, faith is believing even when it seems impossible to believe. Faith is trusting God when there doesn't seem to be a human answer. And faith is the ability to listen and simultaneously obey. I desperately need to be a person who lives with more faith. We desperately need to be a people who live lives of faith. And when we do that, we will be changed. And when we do that, others will be changed. And when we do that, our community will be changed. And when we do that, people's forevers will be changed. And praise God, he is the only one who can do it. He is the only one who can make us right. And this Christmas, we celebrate these stories because these stories have changed us. They will change us, and they will change those that you and I share it with. So may this Christmas we live a life of faith, and may we trust here and now for God to do what only he can do in our time and in our place. 
Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.